Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back again to the program this week. Thank you for joining us and taking time out of your busy schedule to watch us either live at 4 p.m. on Mondays on the Impact Television Network or watching this through our YouTube channel. We just love the fact that you can go back and watch on demand some of the stuff that we've taught on television by going back to our YouTube channel and being able to watch it uh, again and to pause it and think about it, take notes, whatever. Uh, th- those things are available, by the way, simply by going to my website there at lynnhiles.com, and there is a link there where you can uh, go directly to our YouTube channel and subscribe to it. It doesn't cost anything, but if you subscribe to it, it will let you know when we upload the newest program. And what we do is we usually air them, and then the next day they are uploaded to our public profile on Facebook. They're uploaded to our uh, YouTube channel where you can watch them, and then the audio portions are uploaded to our podcast. And uh, then uh, the RSS feed is uploaded also for your Android device. So that's very easy to go to. We encourage you to go there. And uh, while you're there on our website, there's a host of uh, books, CDs, audio stuff. Our itinerary is there. We'd love to see you somewhere. You know, we've really enjoyed uh, traveling and finding people who've watched us on television come to the meetings, and uh, we'd love to meet you somewhere. So please do that today, and uh, I think you'll be blessed by by that. Uh, we're coming now into the fourth chapter of Romans. We've we've dealt with the diagnosis section of Romans, and now we're going to deal with the deliverance. And we began to shift last week by talking about the final few verses of Romans 3, where he talks about God has done something new. This God setting things right that the prophets prophesied of is the Jesus setting right uh, for us, what we could not do for ourselves. That is so incredibly good news to me as a believer. I wish I would have heard the gospel when I was much younger, is that it is the God setting right things right for me that I could not do for myself. And then he goes on to say in Romans 3, especially from the Message Bible, makes it even much more clearer, this grand setting things right that God did through Jesus, we simply enter into it by believing God uh, to, uh, to, uh, to receive what we could not do for ourselves, God would do for us. And so as we begin to move from the first three chapters, I think what we've done is introduce this incredible idea that is God setting things right without any help from you. That I call the way of grace. Now we're about to shift into what I call the walk of faith, because the gospel, I've said this before in some of the programs, is both objective and subjective. It is the way of grace and the walk of faith. The objective side of the gospel is what God did in Christ with any help from us. That is described in the first three chapters of the diagnosis of the problem. We now enter into the provision for the deliverance, our response to the objective side of the gospel, which is grace. Uh, Our response to the grace is it begins to be the walk of faith. We access this grace by faith. 
Many are trying to avert the need for faith. I've come across people who don't think you need to believe. But I'm going to tell you, it's like having a bank account full of money and nobody ever told you it was there. Once you learn it's there, if you don't write a check and access what's already yours by faith, you'll never be able to enjoy the provision that's been made for us, not just when we get to heaven, but right now. See, this is about not just going to heaven. This is about the glorious lives that God has purposed for us to live. When He talks about all of sin that comes short of the glory of God, He's not just talking about smoke in a corner. He's talking about the glorious lives that He's purposed for us to live as we live in the uh, risky embrace of grace and faith that produces, I believe, an incredible lifestyle. Now, let me go into chapter 4 because we have really dealt a lot lot with chapter 3 of the book of Romans. But today we're going to begin, I'm reading again from the Message Bible, Romans 4. It says, How do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? And see, surely people, folks, listen, it is a new way of looking at things. I got to tell you, you know, to me it's a tragedy that we are in uh, 2,000 some years into the New Covenant, and we still have to debate whether or not we're under the Old Covenant. See, if we're under the Old Covenant, i just tell you, this will clear it up in a nutshell, is if we're under the Old Covenant, we're still supposed to be stoning people, because that was the penalty of, of, uh, of the law, was the wages of sin was death. That's the Old Covenant, wages of sin is death. In the New Covenant, the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And let me just say, because I've said this before, uh, probably somewhere in this series, the, the word eternal there really is not just talking about when you die and get to go to heaven. Uh, eternal life is aeonian, the Greek word aeonian for age. He's talking about the life of the coming age, and the life of the coming age in this time sector was them moving from the old covenant age and into the new covenant age, and in living life under this new way of looking at things, in this new life as being a new creation, and a new heaven, and a new earth, and a new covenant, and new tongues, and mercies, new every morning. It's a bunch of new stuff. And I'm really wanting us to shift our way of looking at things to this new way of, of looking at things. So it says, how do we fit this? How do we uh, it says, so how do we fit what we know of Abraham, the first father in the faith, in this new way of looking at things? If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we're given is a God story and not an Abraham story. Wow, this stuff to me is powerful. This is not a Lynn story. It's not a Bob or a Tom or a Susan or a Mary story. This is a God story. It's about learning how to not only see the objective side of the gospel, of what Jesus did to redeem you, but walking in the subjective side of it, which is the walk of faith where I appropriate what is true of me because of Christ. In other words, if I believe I'm righteous because of a free gift, then I'm going to begin to change the way I act and respond because my faith makes... If, in other words, if I believe what, what I believe, what I really believe is what I act on. 
if I still believe I'm a sinner, I'm going to act like a sinner. That to me is the problem with teaching people that they are sinners. That doesn't take any faith to believe. It takes faith to believe just like Abraham did when there was nothing that manifested that in his life seemingly that he still trusted God to bring about in him what he could not do for himself. Because once again, this is not an Abraham story. This is a God story. Now, I'm going to tell you, it makes me almost want to stop right here and worship, because if this is a God story, then the pressure is off of me. And what we need to understand is that Abraham was under a different covenant than the children of Israel. God never gave the Mosaic covenant, which was a two-sided covenant, until they got to the foot of Mount Sinai. And we'll address some of that as we continue through these series. But Abraham, the covenant God made with Abraham was simply a one-sided covenant where God said in blessing, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you a seed that's going to be like the stars of the heaven, like the sands of the seashore. And in your seed will all the nations of the earth be blessed, and I will make your name great. That was God saying what He's going to do for Abraham. It was one, That was just God saying, listen, in blessing, I'm going to bless you. That's the kind of a covenant you want to have is a covenant that only requires, and Abraham simply believed the promise of God, and that promise came to pass in the person of Jesus, who has now redeemed both Jew and Gentile, because Galatians chapter 3 says that that promise that even the law was added as an addendum until, that's a key word, until, that's a time word, until the seed should come, to whom the promise was made, and that seed was Christ. So Abraham's seed, the promise came through that the nations of the earth, not just Jew, but Jew and Gentile, would be blessed through faithful Abraham. Ah, man, as you, we have the uh, unique uh, privilege of being able to look back at the Old Testament and see what they were pointing to. We have the, they, they, they didn't understand what was fully coming, but we in the embrace of faith can look back and really realize as God had orchestrated things down through dispensations of time, that it in fact was a God story and not an Abraham story. It says we read in the scripture, what we read in scripture is, Abraham entered into what God was doing for him. And that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. Now let me tell you, that is something that I believe that needs to be preached over American pulpits because that's what gives me hope as a man of God or a person who's lived many years in religion and then begin to see the truth of God's Word is that I learned how to stop trying to uh, make myself right on my own abilities, my own struggles. That's what rest is about. Entering into rest is trusting. Now, that doesn't mean there's inactivity. It simply means that you start entering into what God is doing for us. That became the turning point. You know, I, I would say to you, if you're out there today and you're not a believer, uh, the thing that uh, may be keeping you from becoming a believer, say, well, I can't live this. I can't walk it. Here's my response to that. Welcome to the club. But God is not calling you to a life of struggle. He's calling you to simply trust Him. He's calling believers, unbelievers, and everybody. That's the turning point, is the moment He entered into what God was doing for Him. So, you know, by faith, I have come to the place where I'm saying, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. 
Because if I could have changed myself, I would have not needed a Savior. If all Jesus and the gospel is about is come to Jesus and then keep the rules, then we already had rules. But the reality of it is, is that He says, come to me and enter into relationship with me and, 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 and enter into what I'm doing in you and through you. It is God who works in us, both to will and to do of His own good pleasure. What we have in the new covenant is we have a bunch of supply where in the old covenant all we had was a bunch of demand. So we enter into what God is doing for us, and that becomes the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. He said, next verse, if you're a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift. But if you see that the job is too big for you, (laughs) <laughs> that is something only God can do, and you trust Him to do it, you could never do it for yourself no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting Him to do it is what gets you set right with God by gift, sheer gift. My Lord, is that good news. Man, that is some powerful stuff. In other words, If you think you're going to earn something better than somebody else by saying you're working hard, then all you're going to get is your wages. You're trying to earn something. Man, this is why it's called the unmerited favor of God. It's free gift. It's the grace of God that has appeared. It is God, hallelujah, working in us what we could not never do for ourselves, no matter how long and how hard we've worked, trusting Him to do it, trusting Him to do it is putting your faith in Him is what makes you righteous. So you're righteous long before it ever manifests. Next verse says, David confirms this way of looking at it, saying that the one who trusts God to do the putting everything right without insisting on having a say in it is one fortunate man. David was not that man. It was not available under David. But David prophesied concerning it and saw a greater day coming when he said, fortunate to be envied is the man uh, who trusts God to do the putting everything right uh, and, and without insisting on having a say in it. Hallelujah. And he goes on to say, fortunate are those whose crimes are carted off, whose sins are wiped clean from the slate. Fortunate to the person against whom the Lord does not keep score. God, that's a precious promise. And man, we got it all wrong when we think God is making a list. He's checking it twice. He's trying to see if your good outweighs your bad. See, in the New Covenant, I would ask you simply this. How many good works can you do in order to be saved? How many good works does it take? How many good works does it take to be declared righteous? 1, 10, 15, 20, 100, 2,000. How many good works does it take to be made righteous or to be saved? Well, you've got the right answer. None. You can't do enough good works to be declared righteous. See, we get that side of it. But let me ask you this. How many bad things does it take that you do to let you be unrighteous? 
Well, if, you, if, it didn't, if it was not based on how many good works you did to become righteous, you can't weigh how many bad works it took to become unrighteous. The only difference here is simply that believers have entered into trusting God in their lives to begin to change them. See, make no mistake about it, even as a grace preacher, I believe that this is a key point, is faith turns us to the point where we've turned our hearts to the Lord, and we are trusting Him to change our desires, change our appetites, and in the process of that entering into faith, then we have become the man that David talked about, who is fortunate, whose sins have been carted off, and whose iniquities he remembers no more. Fortunate the man who, who uh, the uh, fortunate the person against whom the Lord does not keep the score. God remember. Here's here's one of the tenets of the new covenant: your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. Now that doesn't mean there's not repercussions to your sin, but see, really the deal is it's not because God is keeping score against you to punish you. What it is is simply you're reaping what you sowed, and God is trying to even save you from the consequences of your actions. So the truth of it is, is actions have consequences. It has consequences for believers and unbelievers. It's just like eating badly. You know, I mean, you know, you can you can have bad eating habits and and die way too young. And it's not that God killed you or God took you. I think one of the great mistakes we make when we go to people's funerals is say, hey, you know, why did God take my loved one? Well, a lot of times God doesn't take them. He receives them. He does not take them. Bad choices have left us to shorten our life or to steal from us the quality of life, the the righteousness, the peace, and the joy that's in the Holy Spirit. And if it robs you of that, it's probably not kingdom. And that's something that you need to turn your face towards. Say, God, I'm trusting you with this. See, I don't care what your struggle is. I don't care if you're struggling right now with alcohol, sexual problems, food issues, temper management, relationship issues. Invite God in that area of your life, and then really trust Him to let the Holy Spirit do a work in you that even not only changes your behavior, but changes your appetite. See, I don't want to just quit sinning. I want to lose the desire for it. And only the Holy Spirit can orchestrate that in your life until it, it really has no hold on you. As a matter of fact, he tells them, uh, Paul, we'll get over this as we get into Romans 6 and 7. Paul actually tells you that what causes sin to have power as is the law. It stirs up in you all manner of desire. And so, you know, all manner of desire for it. So I think half of the problem what we had is almost like this forbidden fruit principle that makes us want to cross over that line and rebellion and go do something that we uh, are really not supposed to do and we think we can get by with it. Now, I'm not saying, again, it's all right to sin. I'm just telling you, God's not holding your sin against you, but your own iniquities judging, your own sin judges you, as Jeremiah would say. And so there are repercussions to that. He said then in verse number nine, he said, do you think for a minute that this blessing is only pronounced over those of us who keep our religious ways and are circumcised? Or do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never even heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God, or the oracles of God, or the teachings of the Old Covenant? He said, do you think that blessing could come on them? 
He said, we all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. So he simply embraced what God was doing for him. And he goes on, he's telling them, do you think for a minute that this blessing is pronounced just on people that have kept all of our religious rules? I think sometimes we are so narrow-minded and we think people don't just believe exactly like we do that they're not going to go to heaven. I'm going to tell you something, people are at different levels of their journey all, uh, you know, uh, in their relationship with God, discovering God in different ways, and, and God works in them. Uh, you know, sometimes I think it's going to surprise us, maybe who makes it in or who don't make it in. I heard a friend of mine one time say, he said, God spoke to him, said, listen, I want you to go fellowship with these people, this other church and this other group. And he said, uh, I, I told the Lord, Lord, I, I, I can't go fellowship with those people. They don't believe like I do. And God said to him, I don't believe like you do either, but I fellowship with you. And I had to laugh because I thought, that is so true. We think we got all of our, you know, uh, I's dotted and our T's crossed and that, that we're accepted because we've got right theology. Let me tell you something. What do you think happened down through the dark ages when they didn't even have Holy Writ to look at the Bible and they had to trust the Holy Spirit to, you know what? Uh, uh, the gospel survived for hundreds, even thousands of years because people could enter into really trusting God to do. So it's not about crossing uh, T's and dotting I's. It is about, by faith, entering into what God is doing for us. He said, do you think it possible that the blessing could be given to those who never heard of our ways, who were never brought up in the disciplines of God? We all agree, don't we, that it was by embracing what God did for him that Abraham was declared fit before God. See, that was long before there was a law that was long before there was rules. That was when he came out of Ur of the Chaldees and just simply obeyed what God told him to do. He said, now think, now think, was that declaration made before or after he was marked by the covenant rite of circumcision? Was Abraham declared to be righteous before there was ever any manifestation of the token, uh, 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 the token rite of circumcision? He said, that's right before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself. An act of God he had embraced with its whole, his whole life. So he's, th this is powerful stuff, folks. Abraham was declared to be righteous and perfected long before the token rite of circumcision was ever manifested. Now, let me tell you this. Sooner or later, what you embrace by faith will find its manifestation. Now, we are not talking about in the New Covenant, we're not talking about physical circumcision or what we think is holy. We're talking about a circumcision of heart. We're talking about even the token of the New Covenant uh, that is fairly equivalent to circumcision, is water baptism. So he's talking about us being inaugurated, but he's talking about Abraham was righteous because he simply entered into what God was doing for him, even before there was any manifestation. I think sometimes we're trying to clean fish before we catch him. And then we got all these rules and regulations. We've taught stuff, folks, ain't even in the Bible that's a sin. We've taught everything from you know, uh, you know, um, uh, you know. Uh, I can remember growing up. Here's the general rule: 
If it was fun, it had to be a sin. Baseball was a sin. Wearing shorts was a sin. Eating devil's food cake was a sin. I mean, if we're going to send people to hell for all this stuff, let me tell you something. We, we need to rethink what we're talking about in the gospel because if you think that makes people feel like they can make this and become holy, it just disqualifies them and say, you're out, and they stay out longer than they need to stay out. You know, most people, I believe, would come to God, especially when they realize that this is not about you having to live it, and then uh, you've lived your whole life struggling with all the rules, thinking you've kept all of them, and then, you know, you mess up one time, you think you're going to die and go to hell. I remember uh, praying for this woman one time in... uh, Oklahoma City, who was in the hospital. She'd been to church her whole life. And she literally, uh, uh, you know, was in her on her deathbed. And when I went to see her, she said, Dr. House, she said, pray for me that in my final moments, I don't foul up and have an evil thought in this heaven. And I thought to myself, if your whole life of being in church and being faithful, you know, to, to, to follow what you believe is right, and you still don't have enough faith to believe that your salvation is that volatile, that in your final moments you could foul up, I don't think your salvation is that volatile. Because once again, then you're entering into what you're doing for God instead of what God is doing for you. Then you become your own Savior, and what do you need a Savior for? I don't know about you, but I need a Savior. Somebody said to me not too long ago, said, well, you guys are just simply preaching grace because there's sin in your life. I said, you better believe it, from the pulpit to the door. Every single one of us need a Savior. We, we Listen, just because we're in ministry, we don't glow in the dark. We still struggle with stuff. And that may be different struggles for different things. And sometimes we're shocked when we find out a leader is having some kind of fall, you know, uh, fall into sin. And I'm not justifying that, you know, because I think as a leader, you should be exercised in the word of righteousness to where some of this stuff's starting to manifest in your life. But nevertheless, uh, it doesn't surprise me because all of us somewhere need God's action in us to redeem us and to work in us so that our faith lays hold of that. He said, let me, let me go on down and finish this, and then we're about out of time here. Said, it said, he was marked by the covenant of right of circumcision. That's right before he was marked. That means that he underwent circumcision as evidence and confirmation of what God had done long before to bring him into this acceptable standing with himself, an act of God he had embraced his whole life. And it means that further that Abraham is the father of all people who embrace what God does for them. And while they still are on the outs with God, as yet unidentified as God's in an uncircumcised condition, it is precisely these people in this condition who are called set right by God and with God. Abraham is also, of course, father of those who have undergone the religious rite of circumcision, not just because of the ritual, but because they are were willing to live in the risky embrace of God's action, uh, risky embrace the faith embrace, risky faith embrace of God's action for them the way Abraham lived long before he was marked by circumcision. Man, that's powerful, not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile only, and anybody that's willing to enter into the risky faith embrace of trusting God's action in them. Wow, we are out of time. This is some good stuff. This is life-changing, peace-giving stuff. Hallelujah. Uh, we're out of time. Listen, if you'd like to sow into this ministry and help us to be able to take this kind of a gospel around the world, please go to our website. There's a place where you can give, or you can scan the QR code with your phone, and it'll take you directly to a link where you can give via credit card or debit card through our PayPal portal. Also, you can send a check or money order to the address that will come up on the screen, or you can call the number.
number that comes on the screen and someone will take your call. If we don't receive an answer, leave a message. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.